0: Well, good evening. We are uh, continuing our study in uh, David, our character study, so we'll be continuing on uh, tonight. Now, we're not uh, necessarily doing a chronological study uh, by chapter, uh, but we're taking the themes of David's life and uh, looking at parts of that. And how God worked in his life and and how that relates to us specifically. And so uh, the last few weeks, you know, uh, we've gone through the famous story of David and Goliath. And so a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tony uh, preached on that. And so uh, he talked about how, uh, you know, there's every time we hear that story about David and Goliath, we hear uh, facing the giants and, you know, there's these giants in our life that uh, we should overcome. And if we would just muster up enough courage, then we could overcome those giants, and, and the resolution of that text, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, was the fact that we're not David most of the time in those situations, that it's not our place to face the giant, that it's God who steps in and He takes the place for us, and that uh, through our faith and our uh, hope in Christ, that God is the one that has slayed the giant in our life. And uh, then we looked last week at uh, Jonathan and David, and we looked at the friendship that they had. And we talked about how that applies to us in our life and uh, how when we are on uh, you know, level playing ground, how we can be a true friend uh, to each other uh, in those tough situations. And so we continue on. Uh, we had looked at uh, 1 Samuel 23 and uh, where Jonathan came to the battlefield, which was the last time that uh, David and Jonathan saw each other eyeball to eyeball. And we'll see later on what happens to Jonathan. But uh, so we find ourselves now... In uh, chapter 24. Now, if you look in the uh, latter part of chapter 23, we'll we'll pick up there and we'll look to where we're coming in uh, this evening. But uh, before we start, let's go to the Lord and ask His blessing for our time together tonight. God, we bow before you tonight. Uh, God, we are so grateful for Your Word. Uh, God, thank you for the instruction that Your Word brings us, Lord. Uh, God, we thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you take the word and you apply it to our hearts. And, and so tonight, God, we pray uh, that as we look at the life of David, God, we look at the character and, and uh, Lord, the story that his life tells. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, uh, God, will intercede in our hearts and our minds. And, and God, I pray that you will apply the truths to our hearts tonight, uh, Lord, that we need to hear. God, we pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. So uh, we finish in the latter part of chapter 23, and the Bible says that uh, verse 26, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And so remember, David had outed his position, and uh, so Saul knows exactly where David is, and so he brings his men in, and and again, you know, we're three or four years in this chase of David uh, pursuing, uh, being pursued by. Saul. And so finally, Saul is close enough to hear him breathe. And the Bible says that they're right around the corner from each other. And all of a sudden, look what the Bible says in the latter part of verse 26. It says, As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul. Now, talk about divine intervention, right? A messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come. For the Philistines have made a raid against the land. You know, we've all seen the movies where, uh, you know, the good guys or the bad guys, they're about to be caught and, uh, you know, the bad guy walks into the room and the good guy's hiding in the corner and right as he goes to turn the light switch on, he hears a noise and he never turns the light switch on and he goes to the other room and so, you know, there's that moment of, oh my gosh, he's about to find him and then he doesn't. And so that's the moment that we have here and so Saul hears about this attack that the Philistines have waged against them. And so, verse 28, so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there, and he lived in the strongholds of Engedi. And so David is, is uh, you know, hiding out. Saul goes off to fight a battle. Now, we know from uh, history here that this battle that Saul and his men went out to fight was over 30 miles that Saul and his men had to travel to get there. 30 miles, that's a long way, on foot. Now, they weren't you know, hopping on a Humvee and, and you know jetting over to the next spot. They were, uh, by and large, walking everywhere that they went. And so here we see them go quite the distance to go fight. And then they return back because here we see in verse uh, 1 of chapter 24, which is where we'll pick up tonight, is that Saul returned from following the Philistines. When he returned, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so now, all of a sudden, he knows exactly where he's at again. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And so get the picture in your mind here. Uh, You know, they've been doing a lot of things. They ran back to fight the Philistines. Uh, Now they're back here again in his relentless pursuit of David. Uh, And so uh, Saul steps into a cave, a private area, so that he can relieve himself. And so it says, now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now again, think about divine intervention. Of all the caves that he could step into, it's the very one that David and his men are hiding out in. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose, and against the advice of his men, it says David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, the men wanted David to stealthily cut off a corner of his liver, but he did not do that. And so we see here, and uh, let me get the uh, clicker here. So we see here the first blank then on your handout tonight is that, let's see here. Yeah, Saul had massacred an entire town, and now here he is back, and all of his efforts are focused on killing David. His number one goal is that David shall die. And so here he's been out to battle, he's back. He's got this, uh, you know, this vendetta against David that still has not died. Now, here's the situation that David finds himself in. Saul is very adamant about killing David. But we see here what happens when David has the opportunity to kill Saul. The Bible says that he cut off a corner of his robe. So, now, if we find ourselves in those situations, what would we do? Knowing what we know about this story, and we know that Saul, you know, he's tried to kill David twice while he was in the uh, castle. Remember, he threw his spear at him. Uh, We know he's been in pursuit of him now for three or four years. And so here, now David, remember, David's not done anything. Remember last week we talked about that. Jonathan stood up for David and said, hey, you're, you're chasing an innocent man. And so here David finds the opportunity. So if we were to have a show of hands tonight and say, if we're David, how many of us thrust the spear? We'd raise our hand. I mean, it, let's be honest, okay? Every one of us, we wouldn't cut a slice of the robe. Like I just said, we'd cut a slice of the liver. We, we would, we would want to make sure we take him out because of all of this time, David is thinking, you know, look, I've done nothing but serve you. Don't you remember I was the one who fought Goliath while you stood on the side like a chicken? But David didn't say that. And so here's David's opportunity. And so I'm, I'm thinking if it's me, I'm, I'm taking Saul out. You see, David lived in a world that it was to kill or be killed. It was, life was not of high value. But here's the deal. Now think about what happens here. If David kills Saul, think about what happens. If David kills Saul, he sends a very specific message to the nation of Israel. And that message is that I'm going to take the kingdom by blood. Whatever it takes for me to be king, I'm I'm going to do it. And so here's this uh, moving up the ladder mentality, if you will, of the way that you move up the ladder is that you kill. And so David is, the rest of his life, if he takes this opportunity to kill Saul, he's constantly uh, will have to be looking behind his back saying, who is out to kill me and who's out to take my kingship? Now, remember uh, what, at the beginning three weeks ago, we talked about how David got to this point. He, uh, Samuel had been given the prophecy that uh, uh, the new king, who the new king would be. And so he goes to Jesse and he lines all the boys up except for David. And none of them are who is to be the next king. And so he says, well, do you have any more? And he says, well, there's, there's David. And so David comes in from the field. And so David is anointed in front of the whole town to be the next king of Israel. So God has already said, hey, this is what you will be. Remember last week we said that uh, true friends will defend the destiny that God has in store for their friend, that you'll stand up for your friend and you'll stand up for God in your friend's life so that your friend can be who God created them to be. And so here's David in this situation knowing that if he kills Saul, he is sending a very direct message to the nation of Israel. So he has a decision to make. And now it appears that God is handing Saul over to him. I mean, let's think about the scenario again. Dark cave, David's hiding. He's being very quiet. He hears Saul and his men coming. All of a sudden, Saul comes in, and he places himself in a very vulnerable position. And so it it seems on the outskirt that, you know what? God is giving Saul into the hand of David. And you know what? It would be a, a fair assessment of the situation. Well, why do I say that? Well, look what David's men said. David and his men were sitting in the uh, innermost parts, and the men said to David, Here is the day which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you can do with him as you please. So his men said, Hey, God is doing this. He is granting you this opportunity. And so here's the problem with that whole, here's the opportunity. Uh, God is putting him in your hands. You know what the Lord has said to you is that God didn't say that. You can study all of the, uh, of the Scriptures to find that there's no prophecy mentioned anywhere that says this for David. And so what these men had done is they had taken the circumstances of their life that they see David in, and they say, oh, well, this must be a God thing. And so they ascribed it or they assigned it to God. Now, before we get super spiritual and look down our noses at these people, we do the same things. We find ourselves in situations or specifically in circumstances that appear to be what we want them to be. And so in the desire of our heart and making it what we want it to be, then we make it spiritual. And we say, well, this is what God wants me to do. And so I think a lot of times in our life and in the life uh, you know, in general that God gets blamed for a lot of things that he didn't have anything to do with. And so we find David in this situation, as men are saying... This is a God thing. Just go ahead and kill him. But David, David didn't do that. You see, David knew what the scriptures said regarding a king. On your handout, it says in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28, the Bible says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. And so David knew what it meant to respect the king. And he knew what God's Word says about that. Now remember, David has spent a lot of time with the Lord in hiding. He has been in isolation a lot, and so he's had a lot of time to think through a lot of what he's done, and we'll get to that in a second. And so David knows what the Scriptures say. And so David has found himself in a situation to where he can either obey what he knows God's word says, or he can justify the situation based on what his men say. Well, You know, oftentimes uh, in our life, we find ourselves in those situations. But in David's life, he was more interested. Let's see here. David was more interested in what was right before God than what was justified before man. David wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He didn't want to do what was accepted by the masses. And I think a lot of times that, you know, uh, Henry Blackaby with Experiencing God, he says that God speaks through people, through prayer, uh, through the Word, of course, and through circumstances. And I think a lot of times in our life that we only take circumstances, and and I've been guilty of this, and we, we take the circumstances, and we don't apply any other spiritual logic to it, and we say because this circumstance seems to be in my favor, it must be the will of God. That was not the case with David. David applied logic to his situation based on what Scripture said, not just simply the circumstances. And so now we find ourselves moving forward. The Bible says afterwards that David also arose, and he went out from the cave. Now remember, he's cut a little snippet of the robe here, and he's got the robe. He goes out of the cave, and he calls after Saul. He says, "'My lord, the king.' And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth, And he paid homage. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen uh, how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. And so David, I imagine... Holds up the robe. He says, For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though, my, though you hunt my life to take it. So here's that part that David says, I'm going to do what's right, oppose what is justified by man. He says, uh, Although you try to hunt my life to take it, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put you into your hands. And so we see this whole story unfold now. David cuts the robe. Saul walks out, uh, you know, without knowledge at all about what had just happened. Uh, David steps out and he says, hey, Saul, are you missing something? And uh, he's got the corner of his robe. And he goes into this uh, long story. This is uh, one of the most uh, recorded parts of Scripture as far as the specific words of David and the specific conversation that he had with Saul. And they have this conversation about what happened. and, And David basically says, so tell me again, why are you chasing me? I mean, you're listening to things that are completely untrue, and then you put yourself in this situation, and I cut the corner of your robe. Don't you see what God is doing here? And so what's happening with David is that David is not only preaching to Saul, David's life is preaching a message. You know, David, the things that are happening in David's life are all a part of, of the story that God is writing in the life of David, which is why we're studying it today. But you see, the same thing can be said about you and me. Every one of us is writing a story. Every decision that we make in our life is a part of the narrative of our life. And so every decision that you make to uh, take a job, or every decision that you make to uh, you know, buy a home, every decision that you make... Uh, in friendship, every decision that you make in, uh, in, in society in general, all those decisions, they build the narrative of your life. And so whatever story uh, your life is telling, it's based upon the decisions that you make. And so David's story could be vastly different. We could be talking about this tonight in the time where David finally killed Saul, but that's not the story tonight. And you see, most of us in our story, things happen that, you know. We really didn't expect, wow, that was a twist, that was a turn in my story that I really didn't think would happen. Or maybe I didn't want that to happen. I mean, certainly David is not, you know, frolicking, you know, in the daylilies every day that he's running from Saul. It's not something that he necessarily would have chosen, but it is part of his story. And so everything that he does is is preaching a message. Well, like I said, your life and my life are leaving footprints as well for the people that are behind us and of course certainly for our children that are ahead of us. So every decision that we make lays the foundation for that story. So there's no doubt that you and I are also following imprints that people that have come before us have left. And so someone before you has blazed a trail and, and maybe it's in your family, maybe it's uh, spiritual heritage in your fami- family, maybe it's the lack thereof of spiritual heritage in your family. Whatever the story is, there is an impression that's been left on your life and there's things that you do and there's things that you say and there's places that you go and there's attitudes and actions that you pursue because you've been taught that way. And I'm the same way. We all have this nature that is built into us and a lot of times it, ha- it has to do with how you're raised. I mean, again, you know, the reason David was a good warrior is David was a, a shepherd. And so David, just like we see at the beginning of his life, it was no, uh, it was no, fear for him to face something that was uncertain. You know, he faces the lion, he faces the bear. I mean, who of us would volunteer to do that? But for, for someone who was a shepherd, it was common everyday stuff. I mean, hey, whatever it takes to protect the sheep, I've got to do it. And so, as your story is being built, it's leaving these imprints uh, for those people that are coming behind you and also, again, you're following those that are ahead. You know, the Bible says, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. You see, as we, as we leave these footprints, as we are following these imprints, there ought to be someone in your life that you're leading. And we talked, we had our second round of D group training this morning, and I know many, many people are involved in D groups. And uh, that's, uh, a D group is where you are discipling someone else so that they can disciple someone else, so that they can disciple, and so the cycle just continues on and on and on, which is the very reason every one of us are sitting here today, is because someone told someone, told someone who told you. And so it's the same way in our own lives is that as we've got these footprints, we ought to be leading people. We ought to be uh, sharing our life and how things are happening but the flip side of that, and the same in that verse says, uh, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Is just as we're leading someone, we ought to be following someone. There ought to be someone in your life that is a, a further ahead in the journey, if you will, and uh, maybe they're older, maybe they've been a a Christian longer, and and so you're following them, and you're saying, hey, I want to learn what God's doing in your life. There's things that I don't know. There's things that I don't understand. And so just like you're leading someone, you ought to be following someone as well. And so we see here that David was doing that. He was following after the Lord. He was focused on footprints. He wanted to leave footprints because David was secure in the destiny David was secure in the destiny of who God anointed him to become in spite of the circumstances that were present in his life. Now, think about that. David was secure in who he was supposed to become. Who was he supposed to become? King of Israel. And so he knew that God had destined him to be that. So he had the opportunity to supersede the will of God, or to expedite, if you will, the will of God and say, well, if I'm supposed to be king, maybe this is how I take my kingship is I just go ahead and knock out the king now, and then boom, I'm king. But David knew more about who he was in Christ than about allowing the circumstances around him to dictate his actions. So he knew who he was. He was the chosen king. Now, as you think about you and I, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.9 that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I think Pastor Jake had referenced that this morning. And so, we're called, we're a chosen nation, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, You see, you and I have a destiny as well as a child of God. And God has things in store for our story just like he has things in store for David's story. We all have a God-given destiny. There is a roadmap. There is a plan for every one of us. If you're breathing air, God created you for an intentional purpose in your life. And so David understood that he had a destiny. He understood whose he was. You see, when we understand that, when we really figure out whose we are, then we can finally become who we are. Now, we talk a lot about uh, identity, and uh, we discuss what that means in finding our identity in Christ. You know, uh, in Ephesians, Paul, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, he says to the saints in many other letters, he writes to the saints that are at Ephesus or Uh, you know, to the saints as he pens these letters. And yet, then he goes in and says, hey, here's a lot of things that you guys shouldn't be doing. And so it was their identity that they were children of God that Paul was reminding them of. And it's the same thing with us, is that as we talk about identity, we know whose we are. We are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are children of the Most High King. That's who we are. We know whose we are. But that must translate, listen to me, That much must translate into who I am. So whose I am, I'm the Lord's. God has bought me. He has paid the ransom. We're good with that. But the road bump that we hit is, well, who am I really? That our our identity in Christ is secure. And so how does that flow out into everyday life? Well, you know, we get the part of knowing whose we are. But we don't know what to do with that sometimes. How do I translate that outside the four walls of this building? Well, see, a lot of people, when, when, they, when they don't know really who they are, they never dig into their passions. They, they never dig into who they are individually. You know, like, why do I like the things that I like? What do I stand for? What, what are some things in my life that are the must-haves? And so, you know, people that are like this, you've probably been around some people like this before, but they kind of live in the middle. They're never really depressed. You know, there's not a lot that really gets them down, but they're never really, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, having extraordinary joy either. They're never really high on joy either. There's, they're just kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, many people that are living in the middle are simply avoiding purpose while embracing comfort. Hey, we're, we're creatures of comfort, right? We, we want to do what's most comfortable. We, we're Americans. And so, you know, we're the most comfortable nation in the world. And so we want to do what's comfortable. But when, when it comes to uh, who I am, a lot of times when it comes to the purpose of who I am and, and the story that my life is writing, we choose comfort. It would have been easy, it would have been very easy for David to kill Saul it would have made him more comfortable, because think about it, Saul is the one who's chasing him. Saul is the one who wants him dead. If Saul is now out of the picture, well, it would be comfortable. See, people like this, uh, you know, that don't have purpose in who they are, they, they don't take a position on issues very often, and so, you know, quite simply, their life just isn't telling a story at all. I remember growing up uh, hearing, you know, you've probably sung the song a lot of times, I, I Love to Tell the Story, uh, Twelve Be My Theme in Glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. You remember that song? I remember, uh, I remember several, years, several years back thinking about that song. So I love to tell the story. And I remember thinking to myself, hmm, the story. What's my story? You know, what what is the story of my life? When when I get to glory and, you know, several thousand years after being there and and basking in the glory of of being face-to-face with Jesus, think about all of the saints that have gone before us. Think about David and all the stories. I, I think about Moses. I mean, you know, we know all the big stories. Jonah. But also think about, you know... I think about New Testament. I think about Peter and, of course, Paul. I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to sit down and chat with him and all the things that he went through and all the things that God did in his life. And, you know, what did the people really say when the snake bit you? You know, right? But also I think about people that are obscure in Scripture, uh, but they have a story because they're there. Like one of my favorite is the lad in John 6. You know, the little boy that had the fish and the bread. I think about that little boy and I think about his story. I think about how God did such a miraculous work through that little boy. And I think about the story that, that was part of his life from that moment forward. And I, I think about standing in heaven and all of those stories that these people will tell. And then you say, what about my story? What risks am I taking for the kingdom? What, what is happening in my life that only God could explain? That's the story that that we all want to be a part of. You know, no one wants to tell a bad story in their life. No one wants to tell a bad story. The problem is is that many of us just don't know how to tell a good one. We want to. We want God to do great things in our life. We want God to, to work supernaturally. We want things to happen that can only be explained by the hand of God. But the question is, well, how do we do that? On your sheet, it says, uh, there's a, a saying that says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us the most. You know, we're not afraid of being normal. Maybe we're afraid of doing things that are super radical. So how do we focus then the story of our lives? How do we define the purpose of our life? Well, I think there's three questions tonight that we'll ask. So the first question tonight that we'll ask is, what's this all for? What's this all for? You know, like in David's situation, what what is all this for? Why, Why am I running? Why do I not kill Saul? All these decisions that David, that built his story, he's asking these questions. So number one is, what is all of this for? The second question we'll ask tonight is, where did I hear that from? Where did I hear that from? You know, we we often do things that are just commonplace. You know, one of the things that I do not like is cultural things, that we just culturally do things. And and so I don't want to do anything uh, that's just purely cultural. I want to do it because it's scriptural, that it's biblical, that it's godly. I don't want to do it because it's accepted. And lastly, the question we'll ask tonight is, why do I believe it to be true? So what's all this for? Where did I hear that from? And why do I believe it to be true? These will help us focus the story of our life and figure out, hey, what, who am I? What is the purpose of what I'm doing? And so when we talk about what's all this for, well, what that does is it gives you and I intention. You know, there's a reason for doing this. You've heard the joke before about the couple that got married and uh, they, uh, the wife, you know, it was their first. They'd just gotten back from the honeymoon and uh, she says, you know, I want to cook you dinner and uh, so he says, "Great, what are you what are you making?" And she says, "I'm making. Uh, I'm going to make um, uh, meatloaf for you." And uh, so she says, uh, "You know, come to the kitchen." He says, "Well, honey, I want to be a part of everything that you're doing. Show me what you're doing." And so you've heard the story. And so she she gets the uh, she gets the meatloaf and she cuts the end of it, uh, the roast rather. She cuts the end of it. Uh, she puts it in the pan, sticks in the oven. He says, "Well, I want to know everything about you, honey. Tell me why did you cut the end of that roast off?" And she says, "Well." That's a good question. Let me call mom and ask her. And so she calls mom and gets mom on the phone. Mom, I'm making roast and, you know, it's my first meal. And so, you know, my husband wants to know why I cut the end of the roast off. And so I stuck it in. Uh, in the oven. She says, well, you know, I, I don't really know. Uh, I learned from your grandmother. Let me call her. And so they get grandma on the phone and they say, grandma, listen, uh, you know, uh, daughter, our granddaughter's cooking uh, her first meal for her husband and uh, she got the roast out. And just like you always did, she cut the end of it off, stuck it in the pan, stuck it in the oven. And so grandma, we just want to know, why did you cut the end of the roast off? And she says, well, it was because the pan was too short. And so there's this big moment of, you know, there's this great reason that we cut the end of the roast off, and all of a sudden it was because Grandma didn't have a big enough pan. But we've just been doing this over and over and over, and we don't know why we're doing it, but it just sounds right, and so let's just keep doing it. I know this morning, uh, Pastor Jay, when he was talking about he, uh, the message, he, he said, you know, a lot of times they say, well, it, just, it sounds godly, it sounds scriptural, so let's just go with that. And so, I think in our life, as we talk about that, we ask the question, well, what's all this for? Well, it gives us intention. Like, there is a reason why I'm doing this. Uh, The Bible says in Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but uh, God meant it for good. This is Joseph talking, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. If you're in D group, you probably memorized that verse. And so, he says, you know, all the things that I went through, they were for God's glory. He says that many people would be kept alive. And so there was intention. And so, you know, maybe there certainly Joseph being human. There were moments when he was in prison and, and there were moments when he was forgotten that he thought to himself, is there really reasoning behind all this? God, what are you doing? God, how are you working all these situations out? But he came to the moment of realization in his life in Genesis 50, 20, when he writes that awesome scripture of saying, God meant it for good. Look, it's Okay. God had a purpose in that, and so for you and me, when we go through these situations and we find ourselves in tough situations, if we answer the question, what is all this for, with a purpose, then it helps us to endure. You see, we can endure when purpose is involved. We can endure. Think about, you know, nobody loves going to the dentist, right? Nobody gets pumped up and excited about having their teeth cleaned or, you know, having root canals. I've had a root canal and a crown and all those fun things. Nobody's psyched about that. That's not exciting for anyone. Apologies to anyone who works in the dental field right uh, but nobody gets pumped up about that. I myself hate needles i I just don't like them when I was little my my mom they would have to hold me down to give me shots. I hate needles, and so when uh when I go uh, for uh, a, you know like if I had to go for a physical or something like that and they give me a shot, I always say, well. Take the, uh, you know, take the blood out of my left arm, and so they say, well, why? And I say, well, I'm right-handed, and so if my left arm falls off, at least I can still function. I've got this phobia in my mind that, you know, needles are bad, and you you must stay away from them, and uh, so I never watch, and I I I can't, I'm just not a needle guy. I just don't like them, but. So I found out, you know, when I was going to uh, Brazil for the first time, I had to go and get yellow fever shot. And so it was get a shot or get yellow fever. And so I chose needles. And, uh, and so I, I went in to get the shot, and, and I was super nervous. And, you know, my blood, my blood pressure spikes. And, you know, they're like, man, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, look, just, let's just do this, okay? And because uh, I knew that there was a purpose. There was, there was a greater good. And so when there's purpose, we can endure, okay? I can go and take a shot. You know, even though I don't like that, I know that there's a bigger picture for that. And so when we truly discover my role or your role in the bigger picture, it changes things. You know, just like my example with shots. You know, I I, I don't like them, but I knew this is bigger than me just getting a needle in my arm. And so it's the same thing when we find ourselves in situations. We ask the question, what is all of this for? It helps us to discover our role in the bigger picture. And so one of the things I encourage our Sunday school class all the time is to zoom out a little bit. Just zoom out. I mean, we get so specific in situations, especially when they're bad, and we look at these circumstances that are around our life, and we only see that moment. And so if we could just train our hearts to zoom out just a little bit, then we really will discover what our role is in the bigger picture of things. That Hey, this is probably not just about me being in prison. This is probably not about the baker. This is probably about God. And so as Joseph began to see those things in his life, David sees the same thing. This is probably not about me ending the life of Saul. You know, God's plan in all this is not for me to stop Saul's heart. God's plan in all of this is for God to change Saul's heart. And he can't do it if it's not working, right? And so when who I am pours out, then it pours into what I do. It it determines my actions. So who I am will pour into what I do. My actions will then become uh, the storyline of the the chapter, uh, the heading of the chapter. So whatever the story of my life is, then my role of that will be that uh, my actions will then declare my beliefs. So what I do will be based upon what I believe. What I do will be based upon what I believe. You see this is what happened to David. By sparing the life of Saul, I want you to think about this tonight. By sparing the life of Saul, what David is declaring is that God is on the throne. Not Saul. Think about it. by not killing Saul, He is declaring that God is on the throne, not Saul. But if he had killed Saul, David would be declaring what? David would be declaring that David was on the throne, not God. And so what David is saying is that, God, I trust you, even though this seems to be a circumstance that's in my favor, God, I'm trusting you. God, I know what your scripture says, and it would be comfortable for me to kill Saul, but God, I'm trusting you. And so what is all this for was the bigger picture in David's mind that God had a plan, and God's plan involved anointing David to be the king of Israel, and David was not going to supersede that plan by uh, acting on his own actions that he thought, but he was gonna act on the actions of what God wanted. You see, this is the moment when who you are confronts who you want to be. Everyone has desires, right? Everybody has a, uh, a want to in their life. There's things that you want to accomplish. There's things that you want to be a part of. There's things maybe that you want God to do in your life. You know, uh, you know I've said this a lot uh, in our life. You know, there's people in our family that we would like to see come to the Lord. And uh, so a conversation I've had with my wife a lot is that You know, hey, we can't want this more for them than they want for themselves. And so don't you find yourself doing that sometimes? You know, friends or family members that don't know the Lord, and and you want them so bad to know the Lord, and so you are trying everything possible for them to come to the Lord, and then it it gets to the point to where you're wanting so much more than they want. And so, you know, with David, there's this moment that it confronted him. You know, he he confronted, okay, I want to be king of Israel. God said I'm going to be king of Israel. But right now, I'm not king of Israel. And so I'm going to be who I am right now. This is who God has me to be right now. So, you know, of course David wanted to end this. As you read through the Psalms, uh, and what I would suggest if you'd like to read the Psalms that correlate to this is get a chronological... Uh, Bible study. Uh, you can find them anywhere online, and you'll see uh, 1 Samuel 23, and then you'll see the Psalms that David wrote, and then you'll see verse, uh, 1 Samuel 24, and you'll see the Psalms that David wrote in correlation with the story. Uh, you see, David wanted this to end. I mean, it, I mean who wouldn't? It's been four years. Uh, David's been running for his life every, around every corner. He's got people guarding him while he sleeps. You know, there's traitors in his camp. There's traitors in Saul's camp, and it's just time for this to end. But David didn't want to end it on his terms. David wanted it to end on God's terms. And so there was purpose. What is all of this for? The second question that we ask then when we talk about our story is, well, where did I hear that from? In other words, what am I basing my actions on? You know, have, you, have you done something or do you participate in something that you know, someone told you or you, you know, has passed down through your heritage? You see, in your life, and when we ask the question, where did I hear that from in my life, what we have to do is we have to have truth as the foundation for our actions. Truth has to be the foundation for our actions. It can't be based on hearsay. It can't be based on culture. You know, I I preached a message uh, a year or so ago about uh, culture cannot define your beliefs. And that's what culture is trying to do right now. As culture is trying to dictate what we believe, I mean, think about what happened here in the last, uh, last 12 months. Uh, we had all the, the gender issues that came up and, and all the bathroom issues that came up and the NBA move, the All-Star game, and all this stuff was, hey, you've got to believe the way culture accepts you, you can't have your biblical absolutes. You've just got to do what the culture says. And so there has to be truth in your life as a foundation for your actions. There has to be things in your life that you know absolutely to be true. You see, David was running for his life. And in life or death situations, it has this way of really clarifying things or helping you to know what your focus really is. You know, we've all heard the story, uh, you know, the the scenario base of, hey, if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Where would you go? What would you say? So we think in our minds, well, I definitely wouldn't go to work tomorrow, you know. So all these things, you know, we say, well, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. And so we've got all these thoughts in our mind of what we would do in the last 24 hours of our life. If we knew, you know, like Pastor Jake was saying this morning, if we knew the time how would we live that last few minutes, those last few moments of our life? We would probably be pretty laser-focused, right? Very, very clear about the direction that, you know, we, we, how we wanted our story to end. Saul, on the other hand, has completely lost all of his focus. Where did I hear that from? Remember, that's the question we're answering. Where did I hear that from? Saul has lost all of his focus. He's probably tired. He's been out fighting the Philistines. Remember, it was a 30-mile journey there and, uh, and back for them to go and to fight. And so now he's back. He's in this relentless pursuit. He can only think of one thing and one thing only, and that is I must do everything possible that I can to kill David. And so Saul has lost completely all of his focus. And so what he began to do is base his actions on false information. He began to base his actions on false information. If you look in 1 Samuel Chapter 24 and verse 9, I believe it's written on your sheet there. It says, David said to Saul, so David cuts the robe, they walk out of the cave, and David says, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? He says, who told you that? Man, that's the craziest thing I ever said. You've ever heard, Saul? I I never said that. And so what Saul is doing is he's based the last three and a half, four years of his life on false information that somebody gave him. And David says, look, that wasn't me. I wasn't the one who said that. And so he's basing all of these actions and everything that he's doing. He went in and slaughtered all the priests. We see a couple chapters earlier. Simply because he wants to kill David. All based upon false information. And so I began, as I was preparing for this, I began to think about our world today. And I thought, well, I wonder how many people are basing their actions on false information. I mean, think about other religions. Think about, you know, their belief system. You know, I was reading a thing the other day that said that uh, Christianity, uh, all other religions say this is the way. And Jesus said, "I am the way." So all these other, all this information that's out there, all this false information that people base their lifestyles on, and they they act and they live upon. They, they live with questions. You've heard this before. People say, well, I just am what I've done. I've made mistakes. I've, I've done the wrong things. And so that's just who I am. But that's not true. That's a lie of the enemy. Or, or maybe, maybe you've heard somebody say, well, I'm just, I am what's been done to me. It just defines me. You know, that, that thing that so-and-so did to me or that thing that happened to me, that's just the definition of me. And so that's who I am. But that's not true. If you're breathing oxygen, the story of your life is far from over. And whatever happened in your past is certainly what is not the determiner of your future. God can do whatever He wants to in your life. I mean, imagine if you're Jonah in the belly of the well about day two, right? I mean, you're saying, hey, I guess this is how this ends. But yet God says, no, that's not how this ends. And It's the same thing in our life. When we ask the questions, well, where did I hear that from? You have to base all of your actions on truth as the foundation of that instead of the things that have been done to you or the things that you've heard or any false information that you've been fed in your life. I mean, turn on the TV and you're going to get a dose full of false medicine every hour on the hour, right? That's not what God says. So we should base our information based on what God says. And just like with David, David said, I know what the Word of God says about rulers. I know what my friends are telling me all to do. But I choose to do what God says. Because I'm going to base my actions on the information that I know to be true. And if I don't know it to be true, I'm not acting. So where where did I hear that from? And last. But not least, the last question we'll ask tonight is, well, why do I believe it to be true? Why do I believe it to be true? Time and time again, David cried out to the Lord to rescue him. And God did. He was, what David's doing is he's basing his decisions on past experiences with God. Not the fleeting circumstances of man. So we can spend the rest of the night talking about how circumstances change. And so those can't be absolutes in our life because they change. But the experiences that we have with God help us to understand and know the character and the nature of God. And the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so how God acted in the past, I can depend upon that that's how God can act and will act in the future. And how I can expect God to act in the future. And so uh, in Psalms 27, 11, the Bible says, Teach me your way, David writes, Uh, Or the psalmist writes, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Not in spite of my enemies, not in the absence of my enemies, but because of my enemies. And so we have to base our foundational truths on what we believe to be true based upon what we know to be true. Now, this is important. David had plenty of time to spend with the Lord while he was on the run. I mean, again, he's hiding all the time, and so he's got lots of quiet time. Pastor Tony preached a few weeks ago about solitude. And so David definitely knew what solitude was, whether it was a shepherd in the field or him hiding in the cave. David knew what it was like to be alone with God. And so we see here that what happens with David then is that the question that we have to ask ourselves, is this something, and this is getting ahead of me here. Is this something that we have personally experienced or is it because I have been told this? So is this something that, you know, do I believe this to be true because I have personally experienced this? Or do I believe this to be true because I've simply been told this? You know, well, my grandma said this, or my, grandma, my grandpa said that, or, you know, this is, you know, this is what they told me I should believe. And so what do we base those things on? Why do I believe it to be true? Uh, a couple of years ago, we, in uh, in our Sunday school class, we did a study, why I believe what I believe. And so we went through everything. You know, salvation, why do I believe uh, that this is how you come to know the Lord? Why, what is the moment of salvation? You know, there's uh, the the... The moment where you go from being lost to being saved. Why do I believe that, uh, you know, how do I defend the fact that Jesus is the only way? Why do I believe in the Trinity? How do I defend the fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist? We went through all of that. We we went through the foundational uh, tenets, if you will, of theology. And we talked about why is it that I believe that? You know, why do we believe in submersion uh, in baptism as Baptists? You know, what are the things that we believe and why do we believe those things? Because it's very important that we know what we believe and it's very important that we know why we believe what we believed. You see, a lot of times uh, what happens is that we, we have hearsay knowledge and so we're, by association, we hear different things, and so we can talk a good talk and walk a good walk, but in actuality, you know, we couldn't fight ourselves out of a wet paper sack theologically, because we're a mile wide and an inch deep a lot of times when it comes to theology. We don't really know why it is we believe what we believe. It's just accepted by the masses, and so we say it, and so it's very important that we understand and that we know why do I believe what I believe, and that comes from personal time with the Lord you see what we do reinforces who we are and so our actions of what we believe will reinforce who we really are and remember we're answering that question ultimately tonight is not whose am I but who am I who am I in the Lord and so I've got to know that that purpose that God has for me that he created me for it has a part to play in what I believe to be true now, as we talked about with nature, your nature will dictate your behavior. So whatever your nature is, it will lead you to do the things that are of that nature. I gave the example of the bird, and birds squawk and fly because they're birds. Ducks walk like a duck because they're ducks. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, a tree is known by its fruits. And so your nature will certainly dictate your behavior, but your behavior will promote your nature. And so, whatever your actions are, then they will say, well, that, that person must be a pharmacist. They show up at the pharmacy every day and get people medicine. That person must be a landscaper. They show up and lay sod and plant trees and flowers. So, your behavior will dictate your nature. Now, David, we talk about, now we're zooming back into David. David is in this cave and he's fighting against uh, Saul. He's running from Saul and Saul's trying to kill him. And so here's this moment that his nature, David's nature, of all the time that he spent with the Lord, why he believes what he believes, where did he hear all this information from, David has an opportunity to kill Saul. Now, it's a a decision that he makes. Now, David did not make this decision in haste. David didn't find himself in the cave and say, Okay, here I am, I'm in front of Saul, here's what the men say. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Hmm, what should I do? No, David didn't didn't make this decision in haste. David had been making big decisions just like this his whole life. If you back up and read some of the things that happened in David's life, uh, in chapter 22 in the cave of Adullam, what was David doing? He was taking in the poor. Uh, He saved the the city uh, in chapter 23 uh, from the attack from the Philistines. We see that he hid his parents uh, so that Saul could not get to them. So David has a practice of making big decisions in the heat of the moment. Matt Chandler says this. He says, who you are today is not from what you've done today, but from all that you've done before. And who you are tomorrow will come from everything that you do today. Remember we, we started, we talked about all the decisions that we make. We'll build the story of our life. That's what he's saying here. Is that what I do today is based on what happened yesterday and the times before. And what will happen tomorrow and in my future will be based upon what I do today. And so David finds himself in this situation that he's not going to make this decision in haste. You see, David made the decision not to kill Saul long before he had the opportunity to do it. David made the decision to kill Saul to not kill Saul rather long before he had the opportunity to do it David remember has under he has come to a point of understanding who he is in his relationship with the Lord and his purpose because of that relationship and so what happens in our life then is that our identity will inform our choices and our choices will circle back on our identity So our identity will lead our choices, and our choices will circle back on our identity. You see, as we make these decisions in our life, it's based on what we believe to be true. Now, I want to say say something here. In your life and in my life, there has to be foundational truths that we know that will be true regardless of what happens. So if Matt ceases to exist, there are things in my life that I believe absolutely to be true regardless of what happens. So they're called absolute truths. And there must be absolute truths in your life. Now, we could spend a week on this. Absolute truths. There have to be things in your life that you know that regardless of the circumstances, these things are true. The way that I easily relate them is they're like tent pegs on a tent. You know, you've got a tent and it's flimsy in our life. You know, our circumstances are always changing. The wind blows and, you know, we're flying through the air. But if you've got tent pegs in your life, And in every corner of your life, you've got these things that are holding you down. And no matter if the storm comes, if the limbs fall, if the wind blows, whatever may happen, I've got these things that I know that are absolutely true. And so despite the things that may happen in my life, because remember, circumstances change, regardless of what those things may be, I can rest and know the foundational truth of these particular things in my life. Now, a couple of things that we talk about a lot around here are that God is good and God is sovereign. Those are theological, absolute truths that you can stake in your life and say that regardless of the situation, God is good, God is sovereign. That's how Joseph can write Genesis 50:20. God is good. God is sovereign. So there has to be things uh, that are experiential in your life, things that you have experienced that you have come to know that are absolutely true about God. It was mentioned this morning that God sees everything. God is El Roy, the God who sees. And so in your life, if, if God has seen you in a moment of despair, just like when that lady mentioned in the video for Untangled that God saw her, even though she didn't think anybody else did, it's because he's the God who sees. And so she can experience God based on the fact that God is Elroy. He is the God who sees. And the same thing can be said about your life. If you remember, there used to be banners on the walls right here, and they talked about all the names of God. And those are the things that we can put as tent pegs in our life and saying, God is the God who provides. God is the God who saves. God is the God who rescues. Whatever those theological absolutes are in your life based upon what God has done in your life. Those are absolutes. You have to have those in your life or you're going to be blowing with the wind every which way. David had those in his life. He understood that he had purpose. And he understood that the purpose was bigger than himself. You see, remember I talked about the person who lives in the middle? You see, what, what needs to happen for that person and what what has happened for those who live with purpose is that something bigger then our mundane lives has captured our attention and captivated our hearts. It's captured our attention and it's captivated our hearts. That God has worked in such a way in our life that we can't help but live for Him. You see, that's the life we want to live, right? So we all need something bigger. We all know what that is. So let's look uh, in closing tonight at a couple uh, principles. Number one, perception without truth is deception. Perception without truth is deception. So I can perceive my situation to be a certain way. David, with the influence of his men, could have perceived the situation to be God's will. But truth was absent. There's no prophecy that said that. And so David knew what the truth of the matter was, that he should not touch a ruler. And so based upon that, he was not deceived into doing something that he would have regretted. And so perception without truth is deception. The second thing is the world that you build will come out of the story that you believe. And so the life, the story that you write, whatever you believe it to be, that's the story you'll write with your life. All the decisions that you make will be built upon truths that you believe. And that will become the story that you live. All the truths that you believe will become your actions to build the story in which you live. You see, just like David and Goliath, David believed that God was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that there was no one greater. And so he was able to stand face to face with Goliath. Now, in the story of David and Goliath, we want to believe that we're David. And as Pastor Tony talked a couple of weeks ago, we're not David. Most of us are cowering in the crowd, scared to death to face these battles that are in front of us with you know, half-hearted beliefs that God's going to do something about it, but not David. David stood in the face of the giant. Now, David, of course, was not perfect, and we'll see that later on in David's life, but in the story of David and Goliath, we are not David. And just like the story of David and Goliath, we are not David in this story either. Now, we want to be. We want to be in this situation with the opportunity to be spiritually discerning and David making the right decision. We want to make that right decision. But what often happens in our life is that we are Saul. Now, what do I mean by that? Saul had made some giant mistakes. As we continue reading on, you know, Saul says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And then he does it again. You see, what needed to happen in Saul's life is Saul needed a second chance. And David gave him a second chance. And every one of us with the story of our life would say, we need second chances. We need an opportunity to right a wrong. We need an opportunity to to have a do-over. We need a reset. And so when it comes to our story, our past is not our future. And so a lot of us would say, you know, my story, it's got some things in it that they're not the best. But gratefully, In this story, there's a second chance, and Saul receives the opportunity to right the wrongs that he made, and so the same can be said about your story and about mine, is that when we look back at our life and we say, okay, well, you know, there's got to be purpose, there's got to be intention in my life, and I want to do great things for the kingdom of God, and I want God to work in my life, and I want God to work through me, and I want God to accomplish great things with my life, well, there's still a second chance for that to happen. There's still the opportunity for God to do something great in your life. Uh, last week, uh, it was Wednesday night, and uh, it was about 30 minutes before service, and there was a, a gentleman that came in, and uh, he, he said he needed some help. And so he asked if he could chat for a second. And so uh, Rod, Pastor Rod and I sat down, and we chatted with him for a few minutes. And uh, so he was, uh, he was coming in. Uh, he was asking for some help, and, uh, and so he wanted to know if we could help him. And so we began to ask him questions. And you know, hey, where are you from and, you know, what's going on in your life? And so, you know, we were just asking questions about, you know, who he was. And so he tells us the story. And he says that uh, when he was 17 years old that God called him to preach. He says, I know God called me to preach and, and, and I didn't respond. And I didn't answer. I, I didn't do it. I, I, I rejected the call of God. And I said, well, how old are you? And he says, well, I'm 47 years old. I said, okay. And uh, so we were talking, and uh, he, I, he was, uh, you know, just saying that he just didn't, he didn't respond to the call of God. And so, you know, we chatted with him for a second, and we tried to encourage him, and, and he left on his way, and I began to think about that. You know, 30 years ago, God called you to do something. And it was kind of like one of those, you know, man, I, you know, I had my chance. He called me to preach, and I just said no, and that was it. Remember, God is the same yesterday today and forever. So I just began to think about that. I mean, this was 10 minutes before I was going to get up and, and, and deliver this for the first time. And I just began to think about that purpose about just like with Saul, this guy's name was Tony, just like with Tony, just like with Saul, just like with me, God's a God of second chances. And just like with Saul and this second chance in, in Tony's life, he doesn't have to look 30 years ago and say, I blew it. I messed up. I had an opportunity to respond to the call of God and I didn't do it. No, he's still alive. He's still breathing. And so there's still opportunity for God to do something in his life, for God to use him. And the same thing, thing can be said about you and I. And so that's what I want to close with tonight is that with God, should be, is still, could be. That you can look back, I can look back in my life and say, man, I should have done this. And Man, I should have done that. Oh, I should have have done that. We can play Monday morning quarterback all day long. For the rest of our life, we can squander the opportunity that is before us. Or we can say, God's a God of second chances. And just like in Saul's life, God can give us a second chance. Because that's what happened. You know, we talk about this a lot in Romans 5.8. While I was a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ died for you. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so because of that, even though our mistakes are a part of our story, they don't define us. So your should be is still your could be. And so I just want to encourage you tonight that whatever the story is of your life up to this point, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, that God is not finished with you yet. And God is still pinning the chapters of your life in order that He may receive the glory and that you would live with purpose on what he, uh, with what He created you for. Amen?